This is Agile Storytime with David Ritter. Today we tell the cautionary tale of Cyberpunk 2077. This epic video game was originally announced by its developer, the successful Polish studio CD Projekt Red, over a decade ago in 2012. Hype built for the project over the years and culminated in a 2019 promise of a release in April of 2020. In a series of announcements over the following months, the release date was shifted to September, then November, and finally to December 10. By then, the company had accepted 8 million pre-orders. The pressure to release had mounted. In their promotional materials, the studio said, With every new product, we set out to make our games bigger, more complex, deeply engaging. The initial release of the resulting game was problematic. According to reporting in the New York Times, quote, thousands of gamers created viral videos featuring a multitude of glitches and bugs, many hilarious, that mar the game. They include tiny trees covering the floors of buildings, tanks falling from the sky, and characters standing up inexplicably pantsless while riding motorcycles, unquote. Other reports cited heavy demands on developers, weeks of extended working hours amidst infighting among executives. In his Hot Takes podcast of December 15, 2020, Mikhail Klimentov made the argument that the launch of Cyberpunk 2077 is a good case for getting rid of video game release dates altogether. So the release of Cyberpunk 2077 has picked off a lot of the scabs of video game controversies past. Crunch harassment of writers and journalists and developers, even fans. All of that has come up in this discourse cycle around Cyberpunk 2077. And this might be crazy, but a lot of those problems have something to do with the game's release date. When you have a game and the release date keeps getting pushed back, what that means is that the scope of the project is changing, that the developers are overworked. There are a lot of challenges in the production. Being behind schedule on a release date encourages developers to put out a, a minimum viable product. There are a lot of reviewers and people who have had time with the game who have pointed out that the Cyberpunk 2077 doesn't really feel done. Bad artificial intelligence, the fact that the cars go in loops as opposed to following any particular kind of logic, all of that feels like part of the minimum viable product mindset get out something that looks like it's working right without it actually being fully fleshed out. The history of gaming, and software more generally, and even more generally all product development, is riddled with stories of forced March releases that produce poor results. Klementov correctly identifies a root of the problem, arbitrary release dates around which expectations have been set. He also clearly cites the bad outcomes that result, not just crappy products, but also burned-out developers, bad will from customers, and lawsuits from shareholders. Where we'd differ with Klimentov is in his use of the term minimum viable product to refer to the mindset that led CD Projekt Red to release the game in its unpolished state. In Agile, when we say minimum viable product, or MVP, all three words matter. The intent is to release a truly viable product with the minimum features needed to deliver value, to get feedback vital to the product's further expansion and refinement. The word minimum refers to scope, not to quality or reliability. The introduction of MVPs allows teams to test, learn, and iterate, adding additional value with each version. When first introduced, Cyberpunk 2077 was not 
minimum. For example, there were five distinct endings to the storyline. In terms of viability, Sony took the extreme step of removing the first release of the game from its online store and offering full refunds to any purchasers. Applying the term minimum viable perpetuates the erroneous idea that Agile encourages the release of buggy junk. This is not the case. What could CD Projekt Red have done differently to release something that was more viable? The company allowed users to test the game before release. However, they provided early versions only on the PC platform, not on the widely popular PS4 and Xbox gaming consoles. The release suffered crashes on these consoles. The studio could also have made the first version more minimal. For example, why five endings? Why not two that are really great, or even one? Then release alternative endings in patches. Why not release just the PC version, which was much more stable, and defer the release of the console versions until they were further tested? CD Projekt Red has taken steps to address the issues with Cyberpunk 2077. More recent reviews cite improved stability from updates, but players still report errors and incomplete areas. The studio recently announced Red Playtesting, a program that invites players to evaluate and comment on games in development. Even so, the prevailing sentiment in the gaming community is that Cyberpunk 2077 still falls short of its promise. While the negative impact of release date expectations and pre-orders is rampant in video games, we also see it in other types of companies. We worked with a major B2B player in the financial services industry that was facing a severe threat, primarily from this exact issue. The company typically built product release roadmaps that spanned at least a year, promising new offerings and expanded features in its digital products. These roadmaps were given to the sales force, who built them into their projections and their expectations for their own quota compensation based on the roadmaps. The salespeople then talked about the not yet existing products with customers. There were several business units in this firm who engaged in some degree of internal competition for the limited development resources available. The result is that the teams trying to deliver against the roadmaps were tugged in several directions. In trying to meet all the demands, they ended up fully meeting few of them. To further increase the fragmentation, the business units each had a pot of money they could use to fund development directly without going through a central prioritization process. A business unit lead would use this money as leverage with the developers. If they were told that their priority couldn't be met when they wanted it, they'd offer to fund more development capacity with the expectation that this increased funding could accelerate the schedule within the current calendar quarter. As a result, the reliability of their digital platforms suffered. Teams were frantically chasing the committed roadmaps, often at the expense of paying down technical debt, the vital underlying work to maintain the health of their systems. The performance of some online services dipped below their service level obligations to their clients, resulting in financial penalties and loss of business. And none of the business units were happy. Salespeople missed their quota commitments because the products they relied on didn't get delivered on time. Fortunately, this company had recently acquired a smaller firm in an adjacent business. This organization had successfully adopted Agile a few years prior and had worked through the difficult process of instilling discipline in planning. The effective practices hadn't propagated. When the two management teams got together, a fascinating conversation took place. The CEO of the acquiring company asked, how do you deal with sales planning when committed dates aren't met? An executive from the acquired company answered, I don't understand the question. The acquiring executive said, when a product the salespeople have been selling is late, what do you do? The acquired company executive said, Oh, we don't plan revenue or make customer commitments on products that aren't released. You don't? 
Of course not. It creates all sorts of problems when you do that. But then how do you plan? The answer was, we have a baseline plan built on products that are in market and a flex plan based on our current best guess of when new things may come out. We only make commitments and communicate numbers from the base plan. We talk about the futures in more general terms without specific dates. Doesn't that undersell your growth potential? Maybe, but it's better for everyone to set reasonable expectations and beat them. That conversation caused the leadership to rethink how they plan, prioritize, and communicate. This may seem obvious. Short-term financial pressure and expectations of public markets seem to demand precise and reliable long-term plans. But we know these plans are often not reliable, and the external commitments made against them can create major gaps between expectations and delivery. Most software companies have abandoned the practice of publishing roadmaps with specific dates, instead offering general guidance on their pipeline. In a speech in 1957, U.S. General Dwight D. Eisenhower notably said that plans are worthless, but planning is everything. What he meant was that the exercise of planning forces one to imagine and synthesize possible futures, so that when things inevitably change and become chaotic, the organization is better prepared to respond. We've heard similar things from our clients. A banking CEO told us one day he was at his desk looking at a large pile of detailed project schedules and Gantt charts and came to the realization that it was all, in his word, useless. False precision that never actually came true. The financial company lacked an effective prioritization process. Each business unit developed their own priorities and then competed for finite resources. In the worst cases, this can resemble the Hunger Games, where executives try to kill each other's projects in the hope of their own surviving. Instead, priorities need to be set across business units based on value so that the allocation of shared resources could be reasonably aligned. When the company first attempted to set priorities this way, they discovered they had substantially more work in progress on their roadmaps than the company could reasonably deliver. Also, throwing money at the development teams with the hope of quickly accelerating the release schedule just doesn't work. It's more reasonable to expect that adding people will slow the work down as the new people are sourced, hired, integrated, and eventually become productive. This is well understood. Refer to the seminal book, The Mythical Man Month by Fred Brooks in 1975. It's more reasonable to expect additional resources to add value after a minimum of three months. Instead, the business unit development funds should be redirected to create more committed capacity in stable, persistent teams. Finally, it's essential that leadership listen to what the teams say about what they can reasonably deliver while balancing the critical need for system maintenance and reliability. Of course, there is such a thing as a hard date. In banking, if a regulator says that something must be fixed or the bank will be shut down, that's a hard date. But most dates aren't that critical. They're established through an imperfect process that yields imperfect results. Expectations based on imperfect plans are therefore imperfect. It's vital to understand the relative value of plans versus planning and how the output of planning should be communicated with the understanding that plans inevitably change. Subscribe to Agile Storytime for more informative, insightful, and inspiring stories. This is a podcast from Boston Consulting Group. For more information on enterprise agility, go to on.bcg.com slash agile.